I will oftentimes just dog a herd of mule deer feeding into the prevailing wind. Rutting mule deer will go a long way. I can't even tell you how many times I slipped in and one of the does saw me. I killed him with the spot and dog tactic. Depending on what your flavor is, you're going to go to the if you want to have more action, see more deer, get on more stocks. If you want to pursue an older age class and something with really good genetics, I've had better luck in the Welcome to the Hoyt Bowhunting Podcast. I'm Alan Bolin, your host today. And I have the pleasure of speaking with James Yates, who is, among other things, the uh, bowhunting editor at Western Hunter Magazine. James, how you doing? Good. Good. Doing well, actually. Yeah. Good time of year. Yeah. You're, uh, you're down shooting arrows tonight at Easton, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah. I just got off uh, my my day job and uh, was trying to get out here over here earlier for lunch, but work got out of hand. So I I snuck over here before we started this podcast, and I'll shoot a little bit after. So right on, man. Got to get in the reps. Yeah, yeah I'm. I, I admit I have not been shooting that much the last little bit here, but uh, I'll I'll pick it up in a little, you know, in a month or two, I'll get more consistent. I, I take a little bit of time off in the winter. I'm impressed that here you are two days before Christmas, but I guess, I guess you have these, these desert like winter hunts coming up. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. I'm, one of my favorite hunts of the year is, uh, the Arizona desert. And, um, I've been doing that hunt for four or five years. I took, did it two or three years, took a little break cause I had really young kids and yeah. now that they're getting a little bit older, I'm getting back into it. And it's, it's honestly the, one of the funnest hunts I do. It's really tough cause it's OTC, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm in full prep mode right now. I'm shooting as much as I can. Yeah. Um, I shoot a lot anyway, but mm-hmm. I mean, I've ramped it up. I'm trying to shoot 50 arrows a day, just yeah. making sure my strength is there accuracy. So yeah, yep. no, that makes sense. I mean, you're going to get, you're going to get a little bit longer shots and that type of hunt and you have to Agreed. be, your game has to be on. For um, sure. Yeah. That's yeah. like in the summer when I'm preparing for sheep and mule deer, you know, that's where I'm so like critical of myself, you know, like if, and it takes a while to get the groups right. Yeah. Agreed. The rig and yourself, they have to be, they have to be tuned, right? <laughs> yeah. To be, have to be tuned. Yeah. I just, you know, I know that you operate on a different level. I mean, you are the Alan Bullen and I, I, uh, <laughs> Dude. I, I'm not oper- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but, uh, yeah. You, no, you, you, I, I know you're a very serious, uh, connoisseur and, and, and trophy hunter type guy. Like you, you're not, you're out there to make it happen on big stuff. And yep. when you're hunting big stuff, you get very few opportunities and you have to make those count. Yeah. You, you just nailed it on the head, man. If, if, I mean, I can go, you know, hunting my local mountains, sometimes I don't even get an opportunity at the deer that I'm targeting. And if I get one opportunity and I screw it up, holy cow, that's 30 days of scouting in the summer and 30 days on the mountain hunting that specific deer that's like all down the drain if I screw it up. So gear, I'm on point with gear. I'm on point with my bow, my arrows. I mean, everything is just designed to the nth degree. Engineered, if you, I'm an engineer by my day job. And yeah. so, I mean, I just like, you know, me, my kit, my gear, my bow, everything is like in geeked out engineer status. Yeah. That, that is great. Yeah. So, um, years ago, actually when, when I first started bow hunting, this was like 25 years ago, I, uh, I heard about this winter hunting in Arizona and I got on a kick for four or five years where I went down every winter and, and, and hunted. I was, I was really trying to hunt mule deer initially, but I ended up getting into a lot of coos deer Mm -hmm. and I sort of like got on a kick because they were so cool. I, that was kind of unexpected because I was at first, I'm like, I have no interest in shooting a tiny little whitetail. But then once (laughs) I started hunting them, I was like, these are, these are freaking incredible. And, um, just a a quick story. And I want to hear all about how you do it, but this was a big thing for me because I, I remember I had been bow hunting one year and I heard about this. And so I got in my car by myself 
a week before Christmas and drove to Arizona by myself. And I was talking on the phone to this friend of mine who was introduced to an outfitter. His name was Bob Ely. And maybe some of our listeners know Bob Ely, but back in the day, like Bob was like really involved in the Pope and Young Club. And he was like a really big name in bow hunting. And I was tell, and I told Bob what I was doing. And he's like, Hey, Alan, I just got to tell you, you're wasting your time. I'm like what? He's like, you're not, he's like, you're not going to kill a coos deer. Like you're, you're, a, you're a beginner for one. And for two, this isn't the kind of thing you just drive down and do. You need to hire an outfitter. You need to like, you, you're, I mean, go ahead, go have fun. But just so you know, it's a waste of time. I'm like, I was kind of disheartened by that, but I was also sort of like, bring it on, man. Yeah. And so I went down there and after four days, I killed this little 10 pointer. And, um, I mean, it was like this crazy, I mean, I think it was pretty lucky, but Either way, like I got it done. And on the way home, that phone call to Bob was one of the most enjoyable, like, hey, just so you know, uh, the the newbie killed a coos deer on his own down in Southern Arizona. So anyway, one of the things I remember about the whole experience in this, and I haven't done it now in, I mean, almost 20 years, but, and I miss it. One of the things I remember was getting away from the winter even. It was almost like going to Hawaii. Like, oh, yeah. it's, isn't it amazing getting down there in the weather this time of year? Oh, it's, yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, for, for everyone, for me specifically, because I, I, I focus here recently, I've been focusing more on my, the, the, the hunt here locally goes through November 30th, mm-hmm. extended archery. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, the big bucks that I'm pursuing, I've got generally one deer I'm trying to kill, maybe two focused in on that one deer. I'm fine eating bag soup and I go the whole month, just still hitting the high country. Oftentimes it's below 10 degrees flirting with zero. Then you've got the windshield of the mountain and I'm doing that hardcore hunting almost daily because I've got a job that allows me the flexibility to, to kind of hunt mornings. And if I, if I, if I need to get down, I'll get down for an appointment with a client. Um, uh, but for the most part, I can hunt at least every other day in November. So I'm just, That's incredible. I'm, I'm burned out by the time, I mean, by the time November 30th comes hunting, hunting, you know, one particular deer, I'm ready for the season to be done yeah. because it's so hard. And, and then to take December kind of off, um, spend some time with the family over the holidays and then to wrap up what I, even though it's the, the hunt, generally I'm going into the next year, I kind of look at it as my final hunt of yeah. you know, the 2023 season. Yeah, for sure. That's what it would feel like. So I, I, I take a couple of weeks off. I get re-motivated, make sure like we were talking before that I'm on point with my bow. Everything is just dialed back in as it was in August. And I go down there and you're hunting in generally 65 to 75 degree weather. Most nights it doesn't even freeze. And I'm, and you know, I've, I've been figuring it out and I've been able to chase some really, really, really nice, easily qualify for Pope and young type mule deer with a bow in January. And it's blizzarding back home. And I spent the whole month of November, zero degrees, killing myself to get up the mountain in snow. Man, it's, it's an amazing hunt just for the kind of the, vac- it's like vacation hunting. Like yeah. you said, like Hawaii. Yeah. That's, I remember that feeling and that's why I need to get back on the wagon. So what time, what time of year do you like to go exactly? Like what dates? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, it's, it, it kind of depends on, on the rut, right? Mm-hmm. So without like blowing my spots, but, uh, Arizona, you can kind of think about three different areas in Arizona. You got North of what they call the big ditch, which is the grand Canyon, the Colorado river. Mm-hmm. You got North of that, which is essentially the strip, uh, the Kayabab, those areas, the deer rut similar to, uh, Rocky mountain mule deer. They are Rocky mm-hmm. mountain mule deer. They rut in November South of the big ditch, um, down through most of that high elevation stuff before you get down to the low stuff, you know, Phoenix area, Deer are starting to rut pretty good um, mid-December, Christmas time. Um, that's that's actually where I've never I put in for Arizona forever, and I've never drawn a north of the big ditch tag. Yeah. Those are all draw tags. Right. But um, I actually started hunting Arizona because my wife is from a little town called Sholo. And a lot of people look at Arizona as a trophy state, but because my wife lives down there, 
or, or has family all over, you know, her family's down to her parents. I viewed Arizona as an opportunity state, right? right? Cause you know, being, being a good responsible dad, I'm trying to balance work, hunting, uh, editing at Western Hunter, all of that. Mm-hmm. So being able to, to go down there where my wife could see her family and I could also get out and hunt. So that's how it started. So I hunted that kind of mid that middle category that we're talking about, um, South of the, uh, Colorado river, but North of Phoenix, we'll just say, mm-hmm. um, the, the foothill country, um, PJs, um, you start, you, there's prickly pear, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of yellow grass. Um, and I, uh, first couple of years down there, I killed, uh, this was almost 10 years ago. Um, I killed my first year down there. Um, I killed, uh, doesn't score great, but a mature, heavy, uh, three by three with eye guards, um, biggest buck I had seen on the trip. I killed him on day three or four. I think there was one other deer that, um, wouldn't have scored quite as good, but he was actually considerably more massive. He was, um, he was actually a gear that, uh, a buddy of mine that, uh, we ended up linking up together. He actually, uh, we killed that buck together. I killed my buck before Christmas that year and then went back to the in-laws for Christmas. Then I met up with this guy and actually the first day out that we were together, I helped him kill this other buck that, uh, was quite a bit more massive. Um, and that's kind of how that, that, and you can still, you can still like kill a buck on December 31st and then kill another buck on January 1st. Correct. Yeah. You'd have to have two, two years, ta- two right. years worth of tags. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah, correct. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that yeah. was December and the, the deer I've got a video. In fact, I just posted a video on my Instagram story. Um, I reshared some of those stuff that, that I had posted of this buck that we killed after Christmas. He was running like 25 does, um, that, that week of Christmas. Well, so, that's cool. So then I, then, uh, we had kids and really young kids and it got to be a little bit more difficult. Um, my oldest got into first grade or, and it was a little harder to, to get down there. Um, so I took a, a little bit of a break. Uh, one year I tried to go down there and I had like got the flu as I was going down. So I ended up spending a week at my, my in-laws house, mm. uh, just cause I was throwing up and fever. But now here the last three years, um, I've then the last 10 years, I've progressed a lot, call it my own personal progression as a bow hunter. Um, I've killed a lot of deer, uh, all growing up. I hunted and I've kind of morphed from wanting to fill my tags on, on just fill my tags on quality deer to, to really setting a goal. Um, and not necessarily a, necessarily a score goal, but a, a deer that, that really wows me, right. the type of deer that, you know, if I, I'm, I'll, I'll kind of relate it to this, the type of deer that, that I want to spend the money to shoulder mount, right? mm-hmm. sure. uh, a thousand dollars, the type of deer that if you were to wound him, um, that you would want to look for the rest of the hunt for that deer. You yeah. The, the mean, type of I mean? deer that if you did wound them, you would think about every single day for the next Correct. two to three years. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. I know the type. So, yeah. So, so that, so, so that's what my personal progression in hunting has, has led me to over the last 10 years. Yeah. I have, I feel I, I had, let's see, four mule deg, mule deer tags this year not including Arizona. So five with Arizona. And then, so so I've got a mule deer tag for Arizona still. And then I've got one in the new year. So, Mm -hmm. so six, if you count that new, and I killed one mule deer. Right. Um, and I'm fine with that. Um, that one mule deer was the biggest buck I've ever seen in the unit. Um, and he, he was a stomper five by five. And, um, so I, so I eat a lot of tags and, um, and I have been that way for the last three or four or five years. And so I kind of transitioned. So in the foothill country, we were chasing a lot of bucks that were mature still, but for whatever reason, the genetics weren't great. Occasionally you'd find 170 inch, 180 inch, really nice buck. But in three or four years, I think I saw one of those. Right. So it's a lot of, you know, these three points that have good mass, um, you know, they're breeding class deer, they're chasing off the younger bucks, at least four and a half year old deer. But, um, so a buddy of mine, I've had a couple of different buddies in Phoenix that I've hunted with. We started exploring some of the Southern units, 
on. So we were still focused in the, what, what I would call the mid country or the hill country north mm-hmm. of Phoenix. But on a couple of days for a couple of years, we, we explored some Southern units more or less from a scouting standpoint. It was still during the season. Uh, we saw way fewer deer, right. like 10 to almost 10 to one. Yeah. Um, there were some, there's some areas in the hill country that, I mean, I'm seeing 50, 60, 70 deer a day. Wow. And there's there's places in the Sonora flats that I'm, I, I won't, sometimes I won't see a single deer in a day. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and I've noticed, and tell me if this is your experience, but you know, in the North, you know, when I'm not, I'm not talking Arizona, but like in the U S your mule deer will be in the mountains say, yeah. say in Idaho, you know, your mule deer are going to be in the mountains and your whitetail are going to be in like the river bottoms. And as you get South, like in Southern Arizona, they switch places and they the coos deer, the whitetail live in the mountains and on, in the flats down below the mountains, that's where you'll find these bucks that you're talking about. And right. they have a massive range. Like they make these huge loops through miles and miles and miles of country. And the density is extremely low, but they literally they're in the flats and, and you're sitting up in the mountains with all these whitetail. It just feels weird being, you know, a, you know, Rocky mountain hunter to go down there and see the whitetail up high and the mule deer down low. But that, that tends to, is that a, your experience as well? Percent. You, you couldn't, I couldn't have said it better myself. It was, yeah, it was so odd to me. Even that foothill, even the foothill country was even, was even harder for me mm-hmm. because there's a very narrow zone. And when you find that zone, there's a lot of mule deer, you get too much, below that in the foothills before you get to the flats or too much above that below that you're not really seeing anything until you get to the the proper area in the flats above Mm -hmm. that you see coos deer but there's that zone and you're looking for you're looking for feed honestly every every everything big bucks in particular are are they're feed motivated everywhere yeah big bulls big big bulls big bucks they're feed motivated feed is going to motivate them more than anything um so you're looking for fruit bearing cactus. Um, you're looking for, you know, prickly pear, uh, choya, that sort of thing that's in bloom. Um, uh, so you're just looking for that, that, that green up vegetation and obviously, uh, deer are browsers. So they're looking for, for, uh, green up with, with flowering, um, uh, green up that's fl- flowering, if you will. Yeah. Or, are you actually glassing that vegetation? Like, are you looking uh, for it with your glass? Like, Hey, there's, there's, that's what I'm looking for. I better pay more attention here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah correct. Uh, yeah. Um, yes. Especially, especially down in the flats where it becomes a, a lot more obvious to, mm-hmm. to glass up like, um, ripe, uh, choya, right. uh, fruit, um, prickly pear, that sort of thing. Most of the time it's been, it's been the ripe choya. And if you find it's not all the time, but if you find ripe choya, um, you're likely going to be in the right area. Now, the, the biggest thing with that difference there, once you start going down to the flats, like you mentioned, the flats are enormous, yeah. and, but you can't, you can't glass them, right? You need, you need some sort of high point to be mm-hmm. able to glass down on the flats. Well, oftentimes it's really hard, but oftentimes where there are peaks, it's too, the, the peaks are all decomposed granite down there. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes around the peaks, that decomposed granite kind of recedes down into the flats. And oftentimes it's not very productive immediately around the, the, the that peak. Right? So you're so having you to glass to be, out more than a mile from where you're sitting. Yeah. 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 Way more mile. I mean, we're glassing. Uh, yeah. If you've ever done anything, uh, any hunt that requires big glass, it's this one. Um, you, you're, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really methodical. I'm using tens. Um, and it, de- and I can't, I can't really put a number to it because it totally depends on the day, but you're using tens as far out as you feel comfortable with the tens for the lighting, for the thickness of the vegetation, call it mm-hmm. out to a thousand yards. And then from, and it, it's going to depend on your eye. And you're on, on, a, a, tripod on a tripod with your tens, right? right? Everything's yeah. on a tripod. Yeah. And then, and then from a thousand yeah. yards to say 2000 yards, I'm on my 15s. And then anything past, right. and again, those, these numbers are subjective depending on the day, anything past 2000, you know, that's past a mile out to five miles. I'm on my, my 115 BTX. Then 
If, okay. if, if light becomes an, the, the 115 Swarovski 115 is kind of solved the BTX, but the BTX with the 95, um, not it's enough not enough light. light. So you'd get, yeah. Cause it cuts it in half. Correct. I mean, you're really looking at what is it? It's a 35. So you're cutting the 95 and a half. You're looking at a 35 by, by uh 47 and a half, which the exit pupil is one point. Yeah, I mean, it's terrible. So the yeah. 115 solves that a little bit, but towards even the very end, if I'm glassing a long range, yeah. I'll put the ATX on the 115 and finish the day or start right. the day with that. So I'm extremely methodical in my glassing. Um, I'm focusing on where I think mule deer are going to be down in the flats. Again, looking like you said, glassing the vegetation for fruit, um, cactus that's bearing fruit. And then obviously you're just wasting your time if you're not near an active water source, you're just completely wasting your yeah. time. Unlike uh, I'm of the opinion yeah. that big mature Rocky mountain mule deer that are, you know, living in the high country, they I'm of the opinion they don't water that, um, for most places mm-hmm. that I hunt, um, you're crossing through the dew point at night often. And there's, Oh, there's always going to be yeah. dew and I'm of the, they can, they can get, get by. by. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so in Arizona, that's, but down they, there, they, they can't, can't get by. by. No, in the wintertime, you're going to cross yep. through the dew point. Um, one, of, one of the guys uh, that I've really looked up to in the desert, and he's got it dialed, um, a guy named Chad. He, uh, Chad Roberts. I, I remember hearing him on a podcast say, I can't remember what podcast it was, but I remember him saying, like, I can't remember the exact temperature, but it's like some absurdly hot temperature. If it's in Arizona, if the temperature is below... 90 or a hundred degrees. I can't remember what he said. I think he said 90. The deer probably only water once or twice a week. If it's above like a hundred degrees, he said they may water every day to every other day. Um, so still interesting. And don't, so what about in the winter time? Are you talking once a week then? Yeah. Yeah. Probably once or twice a week. So I've never gone down there to sit water. Um, Mm -hmm. but I do go down there, um, knowing, uh, where there is water. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things to be, to, to be aware of, obviously in that sort of environment, uh, the water, and you can't trail camera anymore in Arizona. No, no, I've, so you don't know what's hitting the water. Yeah. You don't know what's hitting the water. Um, I don't necessarily love that new law. I, I, I do like trail cameras. I do think that they mm-hmm. can help provide Intel on water. Um, they're so much you know, fun. They're they so much fun. They're just a ton of fun. They just, um, they just killed the fun. Yeah, Sorry. They killed the fun. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree. And yeah. I think, I think honestly, they, I think they're screwing the non-resident the most, the new non-resident mm. to an area area. They're screwing the most because residents guides, honestly, from my experience, animals have a preferred water source and they're going to continue to hit that one every year. And they'll and, figure it out. Yeah. And, and yeah. And the guides have already yeah. have gained that knowledge, right? They right. have years yeah. and years of trail cameras. I did a, one of the, the late season, again, I don't treat Arizona as a trophy. I, I want to draw Arizona tags as often as I can. I did one of those November, late November archery elk hunts in a super thick area that I could, it's a good unit, but you could draw mm-hmm. it with like two points. Oh. I did, I did one of those hunts and I could run cameras and my whole strategy for that hunt was to run like 15 cameras, kind of just dilly, just dillied around for five days, figured out which, which water sources the elk were hitting. And there, there was like two and I put like, and, yeah. I, and, I, and I ran like what cameras on like 20 different waters. It, yeah, and it just so happened right. to be, it happened to be a water that some really nice guy that I connected with on rock slide. He told me this is the water. Well, you know, just being dumb. I, I kind of not dumb, but just want to be thorough. I tried to run my own and it's the same water. I ended up. Mm. I ended so up the local up. knowledge checked out like oh, yeah. that, like that, even though you ran 20 cameras, you could have, if you were the local guy, you would have known which water yeah. hole was the best. Yeah. yeah right. So those local guys aren't going to get affected by that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, That's a good point. Go, they're just going to go sit that. They're just, they're just going to go. And you know, if I ever draw that tag again, Boo hoo. I can't run any cameras anymore, but I know what water I'm going to sit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, not to get too much off on, on that law, you know, Utah made an attempt at that as well. That was very, very frustrating. And I, my personal opinion is the cameras allow me to kill more mature animals. 
and and they allow me to analyze their age you know where it's not the heat of the moment especially with a bow you're 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 not in some cases you're not glassing that animal you're stand hunting sometimes and you have to make a snap decision and if you know that animal because you've seen it and you know hey that's a six-year-old deer like that's the one i want to kill you're not going to make the mistake and kill a three and a half year old buck and I, i just think it's a real shame but we don't have to get off on that it's it is what it is Agreed. Agreed, man. I, I, I killed a really special mule deer here locally. Yeah. Um, and I had, um, and I ran a lot of cameras, uh, the cameras were to help the deer behave more like an elk. He just lived in big timber. Um, the cameras never really helped me kill him. Cause I mm-hmm. never put a pattern on him, even trying to run salt at the time. Cause that was, you know, that, right. that was legal at the time. Um, and I, I, I threw everything, I, I tried everything that I could, but, um, but the cameras, they were, they were, they were really right. fun for, 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 you know, to, to see the deer on camp. I mean, we're talking an extremely large mule deer and, uh, yeah, that's an incredible buck. I, I know exactly the deer you're talking about and congratulations by the way. You, thank you. Uh, but I, I ran a ton of cameras. Um, but the, you know, what the biggest thing was they were just, they were reassuring to me that the buck didn't is not dead, right. Right? that a cat didn't get him, that a, that a bear didn't get him, that he wasn't poached. I mean, we're talking the type of deer that, you know, people would have poached. Um, yeah, it was just extremely reassuring that he wasn't, uh, that he wasn't dead. Uh, we also had a really freak uh, windstorm that wiped out that year, uh, 2020, that wiped out a ton of trees. Um, I had cameras that, I was and wasn't able to recover because of, of deadfall. Dang! Wow. Um, so I mean, it just wiped out big areas, and I, I guarantee yeah. animals died in that uh, just from trees falling. So it was just that, and then I ended up killing him the very last day of the extended archery hunt. Um, after having spent like forty some odd days pursuing him during that the the, ex, the general season and the extended yeah. archery hunt. Um, and the cameras just, you know, uh, I killed him spot and stock, um, at the end. So the, the cameras were just reassuring, but it was really enjoying, uh, there's a big enjoyment on that. Um, like I gave the example of the Arizona, the, the Arizona situation with the elk. So now here, now, now talking about Arizona, going back to Arizona deer, um, but there's a couple of things you can attack it still intelligently, right? Um, mm-hmm. You need to be close to bedding. You need to be close to feed. Mm-hmm. Um, deer, for the most part, especially um, bucks pre now bucks before pre rut are going to have a pretty tight quarters. Now pre rut comes, they're going to start moving, trying to find does. Um, but for the most part, you want to be within mm-hmm. a mile of water. Um, and then you can be intelligent about what water you're choosing. If it's a really, really dry year, you want to do some research looking on Google Earth or zooming way in and, and you're going to be, you want to be looking for, for tanks that are like cement lined or that they have some sort of rubber lining so that the, that water isn't, um, absorbing into the ground. Yeah. And then do you inspect the water holes? Like if you, 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 you go check them and make sure there's water. Yeah, for sure. That's one of the very yeah. first things. And I'll kind of get into okay. how I, t- how I yeah. tackle choosing an area in the flat. Yeah because it's just immense. Um, it's, you can, you can throw a dart on the map in the foothills, north of Phoenix, um, Prescott, any of those areas, and you can probably mm-hmm. go and find deer that it's pretty easy. There's a lot of deer. Um, and there's some big deer. I just never found a lot of big deer in that area. Um, so I've transitioned more to the flats and, and yeah. then it's just immense. And there's a lot of d- desert knobs out there, but you got to pick the right one. Cause you can go deer mm-hmm. without seeing deer. So, the Arizona game and fish has probably done in my, in my experience, um, one of the best jobs of using conservation funds to really improve habitat and how they've done that is erecting cement, um, guzzlers, if you will. So they, they have a way of storing the water underground mm-hmm. so it stays cooler and it doesn't, so the heat that causes yep. the water to evaporate. So they store it, they keep it stored kind of underground covered in cement. So, and the cement has high specific, or, uh, you know, high heat capacity, uh, or sorry, the, 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 the cement kind of just keeps everything cool. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, if, if the water's covered, it can't evaporate. So, I mean, even if it were covered by plastic, it literally can't evaporate. You, you imagine like putting a, a, a milk jug full of water out in the desert and you put the cap on, it's not going to evaporate. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And so like the, the guzzler design where they're keeping everything underground, not exposed, it's not going to evaporate. And then they have a small area where only a small amount of water is exposed to the air. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's and and then you know you have like even that same design you can put out like sheet metal as a big area to gather water to direct it into that guzzler. So then at that point the big rainstorm comes, all that water then goes into underground tank that's protected and it only has a small exposed area. It's it's freaking brilliant and and they've done a lot of that down there. I guess you're saying. Yeah, there's and 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 I look for those specifically on dry years. Okay, yeah. So very that's, nice. that's something to be very cognizant of. And then when I get to a new area, the very first thing I'm doing is looking for water. Um, so just for, so, so we're all living in, you know, I'm catering this, this podcast and what I'm talking about to the non-resident. Well, last year, Arizona implemented this drastic cut and tags. It's no longer unlimited OTC for non-residents. I think they sell between 2,500 and 3000 tags to non-residents. You have to buy them kind of the month before the year. So it's like, December one. I think this year they did a little earlier than that. And do they sell out um, very quickly? Oh yeah. They sold out. There were, they had some, so the year before, I think they sold out in four days this year, they sold out in four hours. Jeez. Once they, once they got over their initial, I don't think, I don't think they sold a tag for the first hour because of server issues. It's just getting harder for people to draw tags. Right. So they're looking for OTC opportunities and that's kind of where I've made yeah. my hunting living. If you will, I've, I've only drawn, I drew, I spent seven points on a three point unit in Colorado, a rifle tag four or five, five, five years ago. And that's the only tag I've ever uh, drawn. I'm with you, man. Everything else I've done is. Yeah. I'm a little points, bit cynical about the OTC. whole point system. I, I think it's, I mean, maybe for deer and elk, it works, but for these once in a lifetime species, especially it's a total joke. My kid never draw a tag. A I probably will never draw a tag. And yeah. I've got 15 to 20 points yeah. in every state. And it's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little cynical about it. I think it's a good old boys thing that the guys who started it drew. And now like at this point, it needs to be redone. Agreed. So that's kind of my, my situation. So it, a lot of popular, the popularity for Idaho, OTC, yeah. Idaho, OTC, Arizona, OTC, Utah, L, mm. they're all going up. OTC, Colorado, L. That's, that's a tough reality um, to face so, that. Yeah, that's yeah. rough that that stuff's going away. I mean, Arizona selling out yep. in four hours. I mean, I, I was going to ask you about that because I hadn't yeah. done it in so long and I had heard some things, but you know, I used to drive, when I drive down there, I wouldn't think about it. You know, you would just stop by Walmart and buy your tag. Yeah. The first three or four years that I did this before, again, before I kind of hiatus with yeah. young, really young kids, it was, uh, it was that, yeah, just mm-hmm. buy a tag in Walmart and, and you know, uh, like page right. or something on my way down. Um, so, so, so this, this last year, uh, 2022, January of no, uh, January of 2023 was the first year that okay. they had the tag quotas. So the tag quota, how that works is, is that the, there's quota hunts for bears in a lot of places. So mm-hmm. it's, it's the same thing. So they, for a unit, they, they say there are a certain number of mule deer that can be killed in this unit, uh, legal mule deer. Um, generally that number is between five and 50 for the units in Arizona. So every, um, that the system is operates from like a Wednesday to Wednesday type deal. And so you, you have to check, um, you have to check to see if your unit is open in that Wednesday to Wednesday period so that your, your units are going to close if the quota is met, like on a Tuesday, it's going to close at sundown the following wow. Wednesday. So if the, if the last mm-hmm. person calls in to meet, so you're supposed to call in within 48 hours if you kill. Now this, I'm not the Arizona game and fish Bible here. It's, so this it's is, something I like this mix. though. Honestly, I didn't know this yeah, is what they were doing. Like I've seen that for like bighorn sheep in Montana, you know, the, but I, yeah, like, okay, correct. I'm just like losing my mind here a little bit because I'm thinking this is a recipe to kill a bunch of young deer because people are like under the gun to get it done. Correct. Oh my gosh. 
Correct. It's a recipe for killing young deer. Yeah, they're, uh, yeah. So it's, yes, exactly. Uh, one of the units that I actually wanted to start in, um, after this little hiatus, um, and they, that I took and then, and then when, uh, when they started implementing this, that unit has, has consistently closed in the August hunt. And I'm, I'm presuming that it's killing two points over water. Dang, man. What a freaking bummer. Yep. Well, okay. Now you've bummed me out. So you're operating. (laughs) Yeah. So you're operating Wednesday to Wednesday, but the quotas are really low. Um, In fact, I think they're a lot lower than they, than they need. That's just my opinion. Some of these units are really big and I know that deer density is low um, until you find that pocket and then density can be good. Yeah. Okay. So I I would need to understand this. I'm sorry. I'm not up on the law here, but you're telling me that these tags sold out in four hours and they're not even really a guaranteed tag. It's only the opportunity to hunt if by chance the quota hasn't been filled. Yeah, so they'd be guaranteed the following uh, August. Okay. So the quotas, the quotas reset. The quotas reset in August, which I don't agree with. I I wish the quotas would reset in January. I think that gives you. But a, they should have two. They should have a summer hunt and a winter I, hunt. I would agree. Where the where the quotas divided in two or whatever, so that somebody who wants to hunt the winter at least has the opportunity right. to do that. Yeah. So, um, in 2022, uh, before the quota, um, I'd spent a couple of days with some buddies previous years, I was kind of scouting a unit and, uh, I went all in on that unit in January of 2022. And, um, I was with my buddy, Jaron, and we found a 170 inch class wow. three by three yeah. mule deer. Uh, so, 170 inch buck doesn't sound that big, but when it's, yeah. but it, it's three by you, that, that buck has, he was extremely symmetrical, huge beams, but a three by three is it's huge. Uh, 17 inch mm-hmm. G twos, um, 15, 15 inch G fours. Yeah. Giant mule deer. If he had G threes, he would have been a booner. Mm-hmm. Right. Just a giant, giant buck. We found him on like day five and we hunted him for four days uh, Jaron is my buddy. Jaron Danzi is one of the most selfless people I know. Um, and, uh, he, he, uh, he, 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 he gave me multiple days up, even though we were alternating and I was fortunate enough to get an arrow in that buck. And, um, uh, and that, that was, that was just that just was amazing. It was an amazing deer, amazing time. Yeah. yeah. I've seen that buck on your, on your social media. It's very nice. Very, very nice deer, especially on the hoof. Like I, maybe you just texted me that picture, but <laughs> he looks, he's a stud. Yeah. Just, just a really big deer. So that, that just was amazing. Um, well, so this unit, um, unfortunately when I went down January of 2022, um, I can't remember exactly when it closed, but mm. it closed before, before, before I got down in 2023. Yeah. Um, so that unit was closed. So it's, it's off the books. Right. So, um, I, I can't go down there. Um, so in January of 2023, I started anew. I had one previous day and it was even a half a day in the unit that I decided to hunt, but it had very similar terrain. It was pretty close to the other unit. So my buddy this year, that 2023, I went down with the Western Hunter customer service manager who lives in Phoenix. Western mm-hmm. Hunter is based in Phoenix. His name is Brody. Brody and I went, I met up with Brody in Phoenix. He picked me up from the airport and we went out and I had, I had some work complications. Um, so I only had, I had five full days to hunt. Um, so in five days, we needed to dissect a new unit. Um, I I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking for an age class of buck. Um, and, and not only age class, but Mm -hmm. antler size as well. I kind of limit myself in the two regards. And we went and the very first thing that we did, uh, the, the night that we got there, I got there late. I had to buy groceries, but we, we, I think we just went to bed that night and we hit, um, we hit a couple of glassing points Mm -hmm. that were not productive. We, we were, glassing out five miles. Um, uh, so just considered a radius of five miles, uh, five squared, um, just trying to figure out the square area. So five squares, five squared mm-hmm. is 25. 
and then times pi, pi r squared is uh, 25 times 3.14. It's eight, gotcha. 80 square miles. 80 square miles. That's un, you know, huge. unfathomable amount of country, right? Mm-hmm. And we didn't see a mule deer. Uh, now, granted, with the BTX out five miles, how, yeah. how effective are you? You know, take, 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 there was take, nothing take, obvious, take at least. So, yeah. yeah, nothing obvious. So that night, instead of just, you know, wallowing in self-pity that we didn't see any deer, you know what we did? Got the headlamps on and started pick, picked a new peak, uh, uh, obviously looking for water. Uh, that's the very first thing. we found, Last year was really wet, so there was water everywhere. Um, so we started walking washes, looking for uh, fruit, fruit-bearing, um, fruit-bearing cactus, uh, feed, for the feed, um, and then started looking for rubs and tracks and droppings in. So Brody and mm-hmm. I divided up, walked washes. A lot of the animals use washes as corridors. Um, they'll bed in the washes, tucked up under, kind of tucked up under the shade. Uh, they'll also bed under the Palo Verde, uh, the shade of saguaro trees, uh, saguaro cactus. Um, so we found a new spot that had a lot more sign. Actually, had a mm-hmm. fairly good amount of sign, like. It looked like the concentration was going to be pretty good. And you guys found this at night with headlamps. Headlamps, correct. That's impressive, I got to say. Yeah. Um, uh, obviously, I have experience in, in a, a unit mm-hmm. adjacent to right. it, so I knew what I was looking for. So it wasn't like I, it's not like a listener on this podcast is going to go down right. and immediately do this. But, um, but yeah, and then we ended up hunting in that, we hunted on that mountain for the next four days um, after day one. And we ended up finding a, uh, a 190 class, wow. uh, four, four by four. I posted a video on my social media. Um, and we hunted that buck exclusively for the whole hunt. I found out after the fact, I found on the last night of my hunt that that buck got killed the night before. Uh-huh. So I, I basically hunted the buck yeah. for two days that that uh, that he was dead. But it was it's a cool story. The the son, it was a father a father son duo. I think the son had mm-hmm. just graduated high school, uh, and uh, their locals hardcore hunters. Uh, they were they'd been on that buck. I think he said they were on that buck the year before. But anyway, in that last year, the father had actually passed an arrow through that buck through no man's land. Wow um, in December. And then I think he, the son had killed a different deer. Uh, they were trying to get back on that deer all through December. And then January rolled around, they hunted him for two weeks or whatever. Um, were they, did you see them in the field? Were they glassing or were they hunting water or something where you couldn't see them? Uh, there was a lot of hunters and there was a lot of locals in this particular area. The, so you saw a lot of yeah, hunters. Saw a lot of hunters. Okay. Okay. Um, and it, and it made sense, um, you know, once we found this buck, um, right. He was yeah, known. He was known. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. the son ended up killing the buck, like I said, two days before my hunt ended. And then I found out my very wow. last night, um, we had actually that very, so once I found that out, the, the, the last evening, I actually stalked the second biggest buck we had seen, which we figured was 170 type class, 170 inch type class buck mature, mm-hmm. um, uh, a, a great buck for the desert. Um, and with my number one being dead, I would have been stoked with this. buck. Yeah. So I actually made a stock on him and I, I got a shot off, but a little longer shot, but I perceived that there was, there was a tree above him, a tree branch. And I perceived him to be directly below it. It was kind of like an optical illusion, but he was 10 yards behind mm-hmm. it. So my arrow, I thought for sure that my, arrow, I didn't even consider that mm. branch. But the fact that he was 10 but yards it, yeah. behind it, it was like a, I don't know, 70, 80 yard shot. Um, and he was five, 10 yards behind it. And my arrow arced and hit it. Oh man. Uh, yeah. And so, I, yeah, so that was the last evening, like literally one for one on, on the stocks on that. The big buck I actually stocked, I think on day three and I was inside a hundred mm. waiting for a shot opportunity. Uh, Cause it, you know, the harem kind of gets crazy. So I tend to, if I can't, if I can't get a shot immediately on a bedded buck, I actually kind of back out because in my experience, mm-hmm. if, if you're on a bedded buck and kind of 
not such so much mountain country, but more foothills. Uh, I, I believe that the deer kind of act more like, like elk where the, 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 instead of feeding with the, the thermals deer in flatter areas, hilly country areas, rut type areas, I think behave more like, like elk in those areas where they'll, they'll feed into the prevailing wind instead of into the thermals. Right. Mm -hmm. So in my experience, if you're getting on a bedded buck and you can't, and you can't shoot him immediately in his bed, I actually like to back out and get up ahead of the deer in the direction of the, in the direction of the, against the prevailing wind. So into the prevailing wind, because the, the, the buck's always going to be the last one to get up, especially late in the rut. So the, when the does get up and feed, oftentimes the buck will still be bedded because he's exhausted. Um, yeah. So the does will actually feed and they'll feed into the prevailing wind. And then the, 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 they'll get a certain distance away and the buck is like, oh, crap. And he gets up and he immediately just goes towards the does. Well, if you're if you're if you're positioned on the deer with your with the nose into your with the wind into your face, that buck is going to get up and leave straight away from you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had better, better luck to kind of back out if I can't get a shot in his bed, um, to, uh, um, to, to kind of get into the wind up in front of the deer. And as the deer kind of trot, the buck trots by following his does, um, that, that that's my, that's my best play. So you're going to get like on a, on a crosswind Correct. angle, 90 degrees, yeah. and, 90 and, degrees to yeah, the wind. There you go. Yeah. Very yeah. similar setup to how guys hunt elk with, uh, yeah. And even whitetail, like I, I've had good luck with, you know, there's, uh, there's certain bucks that, that most mature bucks tend to, uh, only move when the wind's in their favor in daylight. And so I will sometimes cheat that wind when the wind's bad. I know the wind's bad, but I know he's going to come out in daylight because of yep. it. So I'll cheat that wind and try to try to get a shot at him. Yep. And it's, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes the wind is you, you have, you have to get a little light. Yeah, you, oh yeah. There's no, there's no, there's no, you know, chasing big deer like that. Like oftentimes you're just waiting for that one lucky break. Like you said, I, sometimes I don't get an opportunity on the deer yeah. I want to kill. And you're, you're just trying to put yourself in the field as many times as you can. So you can get that one lucky break. Yeah. Yeah. I always say you gotta so, have a little luck for sure. So tell, tell me this. Um, you, so you're up, I'm, I'm trying to picture this you're on, cause I've seen this country and, and frankly, you know, the more I think about it, the reason I got hung up on the coos deer all those years ago was because I didn't want to put in what you're talking about to find the mule deer. Cause I knew they were out in those flats somewhere, but it's just yeah. like, there's all these coos deer all over the place up in this mountain. Yeah. And it's just like too much fun. Right. So, and I was like more, you know, at a different stage in my career, but I'm, I'm just imagining this, you're sitting up on this high point and you're glassing out, you know, four miles onto this flat and you see a big buck with several does. And now you've got to like get to them and find them out on that flat four miles away. That has, that has got to be extremely difficult to relocate them because oh, when you lose your elevation, everything looks the everything same. Looks the same. So how, yeah. how, do you have any tricks? So like, how, how are you doing that? Um, if, if a deer is four miles away and there's no knob that I can use to get closer, unless it was a, an absolute giant, I probably wouldn't waste my time. Does that make sense? Like, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. Cause that's going to be really difficult to find that deer. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, but fortunately I'm looking for areas and, and, more often than not, I'd say more than 50% of the time, I'm going to be able to get closer on a different knob. So gotcha. Reposition. So you reposition, find them again, find them again. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and then, uh, you, you want to be glassing parallel with the washes so you can glass into the washes. Right. So you don't want to be perpendicular to the washes. Right. Yep. Um, cause the, the, so you're going to be able to follow a wash, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, follow a wash. Um, and then, uh, you, you, you take pictures, you take pictures with your, with your all in, um, your phone scope, whatever you use. Um, and you, and for, for the most part, um, you know, it, it still gets pretty warm in the desert. Um, and, and they'll, they'll bed down for the day. Um, 
Uh, and then you can, you can, you can take pictures. Um, you use the wash, you, you identify features with washes. Um, the other way I identify features in the deep, the deep Sonora is the, the saguaro cactus. Uh, no saguaro cactus is mm. like there, there are differences. And so yeah. I can tell you the number of times yep. you come up with some funky name for the particular saguaro cactus. And then you're out there glassing, you're right. glassing contours and you recognize features of washes and the saguaro cactus. Mm -hmm. so, that's, so that's, if, if you're alone, you're definitely going to have to rely heavily on that. So if you're with somebody, yeah. the hand signals, is that something you also do? Yeah. Correct. Hand signals. Um, uh, you can get pretty sophisticated with that and you can have pre-designated numbers, um, for different features. And, um, we've mm -hmm. done, we've done flagging with not necessarily flags, but you know, flashing, um, flashing a, a color of some sort, um, yeah. to communicate, you know, one, two, that sort of thing. Um, hmm. Uh, and obviously you're, you, nice. you, you can still communicate fairly effect. Uh, you know, you know, that you're looking at one another through your binos, you can kind of get an idea, you know, he's, you know, you're looking at him with, he knows you're looking at him and, you know, you can start pointing, you can start using, uh, you know, oftentimes you may not see fingers, but you can use your arms, yeah. um, uh, yeah, to, 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 to help, to help get guided in, if you will. Um, the, but ultimately, yeah. What I found the, the spotter is just making sure that they don't relocate. Mm -hmm. If you have, if you have kind of an idea of, and even a pit, you take a picture or you take a screenshot of Google earth and you designate, you know, areas or maybe, maybe even make a grid. That's the easiest way to communicate. If you're like flashing each other with, with a color of some sort, um, so that the spotter really just needs to be there in case mm. the deer relocate. And then once you get in the vicinity, it becomes a patience luck kind of waiting game, waiting for the opportunity for that buck to either mm -hmm. get up and follow his does, or if he's actively pushing his does that he's going to push potentially that doe and heat. Cause it gets, it gets crazy. Right. And that he, that he comes by you. Mm -hmm. Some people have been very successful shooting rut, rutting mule deer, the bucks in their beds. I haven't been. I think you got to be really, really lucky to have that opportunity. Yeah. Um, so I've just, just um, mm -hmm. kind of devised these other strategies that have that have worked pretty well for, for me. Yeah, I've, I've had pretty good luck. I call it stock and wait. Is I get you know as close as I feel I can I can get mm -hmm. without you know, and I might not even see the deer. It, but I know that I'm say within 80 yards or whatever, and I just stop and I, and I, I calculate that, you know what, when they get up, you know, I might have a 35% chance of getting the shot when they get up. Um, but if I try to push in and get them in their bed, maybe I have a hundred percent chance of seeing them, but only a 20% chance of getting a shot. And so I'd, I'll take the 35% chance with no pressure than blowing them out on a 20%, even though it's like, kind of like, you're like, but I could for sure see that deer if I go in right now. Yeah. You have to be, have some discipline. So yeah. I like to stalk stock and, and wait. It's stock and stand. That's what I call it. Stock and stand. Yeah, stock and stand. Because you like move into very, very close where your odds now are increased dramatically because the angles, you know, they have to take a, a, any anything quartering your direction, you're going to get a shot, you know. Uh, so, and that's kind of like what you're talking about. That's actually adds another level to it. I actually hadn't thought about that yeah. whitetail technique of like cheating the wind because they usually move into the wind. That's an excellent tip. That's yeah. Instead of, instead of doing it into the thermals, like you would in the mountains, you do it into the prevailing wind in the, in So I've done that in the Idaho rut hunt, Utah's rut hunt when I'm more in the mm -hmm. foothills, Arizona is yeah. bigger because it's even flatter, but deer, deer that, that those does are going to feed into the prevailing wind almost every time. And that buck, yeah, that buck's yeah. gonna wait. And if he's tired, he's if, yeah, he, if he's, that's if he's super cool. and he's not nudging his dose, he's tired. Um, um, so if they get up and feed away from him, he's gonna get up and follow him. And you oftentimes don't get you, you're not gonna get a shot. Right. So Yeah. But if you see the does move off and you know that they're moving off out of range, you could oh yeah. make perhaps make a quick move because you know he's gonna follow right. that trail. So I so he's going that direction. So I like your spot and stand. So after that, 
if you don't get a shot and you're in a stationary position again, 90 degrees. So I, I recently wrote an article in Western Hunter magazine that I call unconventional mule deer tactics, unconventional season and mule deer tactics. And I talk a, a lot about this, this exact setup. I have diagrams. It's, it's like a seven page spread. Um, we'll have to, I'll have to get with Evan. Um, and maybe he can put, um, maybe just say in the comments what I can't remember what issue it was. Um, but I talk mm-hmm. about this very thing in the, in, in this magazine, I break it down on a whole nother level, but, but, but like you, like you said, spot and spot and stand. So if you a stock and stock stand, and stand. So yeah. I get, so yeah. I call it spot after, if you don't get an immediate shot, kind of like what you're talking about, I call it spot and dog. So I will oftentimes mm. just dog a herd of mule deer that are feeding into the prevailing wind until I, especially if they're ready. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Because they're going to stop and screw around. Stop and screw around. That's how I killed. I can't even tell you how many times I slipped in. And one of the does saw me on when I killed that really big three point, I killed him with the spot and dog Mm -hmm. tactic. And finally one evening, um, in fact, uh, Jaron, who was, was trying to keep me, keep me kind of alert to, to where they were. If I ever lost them, he'd kind of given up. Cause it, I mean, he, he was a long way away. He'd kind of given up. Um, I was down in a washer, so I was having a hard time seeing him anyway. And, uh, I, I literally that final opportunity dogging them, he, he was, he mm-hmm. was just close enough. And, and it, I actually made one of those shots where I had a big prickly pear cactus between he and I, but I knew that yeah. I you knew had to the arc over, arc yeah. over it and yeah. uh, made a quartering away shot, um, uh, liver That's awesome. and opposite side lunged him. Um, he's still just like with elk running mule deer will go a long way if they're on hot does. And he went a long way. Um, and, uh, but, but with the help of uh, another friend and Ryan, who was hunting that area, he came and helped me recover the buck that, that next day. So. Dang, man. That's cool. That's super cool. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I, I, uh, man, I miss what you're talking about. I, I think I may need to figure out how to get back in the game. That's, uh, I'm, I'm, it's, it sounds like a blast. I mean, I know it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of hard work, but heck it's 70 degrees out. Yeah. Like how, how bad can it be? Yeah, exactly. It's the, the yeah. you're rewarded with kind of that more vacation style hunting. Now, you know, uh, depending on what your flavor is, you're going to go to the hill country. If you want to have more action, see more deer, get on more stocks. If you want to pursue an older age class and something with really good genetics, I've had better luck in the desert, but I will tell you, I've got, yeah. you know, three, three years experience in this one particular area and, and a couple, three years and a couple of days, scouting days, if you will. And, uh, man, I, I go days without seeing deer. So it's, yeah. it's just, your cup of tea. You got to choose it and stick with it. It's one of those things I I will say that it's easy to say, Oh, I would rather have a chance at a big buck and not see anything for days and days. But until you've actually done that and and you know how miserable that is and how disheartening it is, it's, um, it's actually, it's actually quite tough. I believe you when you say that, because I know you've experienced that. Yeah. I mean, you've gone on doll sheep hunts that for multiple years, right? Where, you're looking for a Booner doll sheep and yeah. And you're, yeah, you're holding I, out I, for that. I I've seen multiple unicorns and zero Boone, Boone and Crockett doll sheep because unicorns are way more common. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too, so yeah. Yeah. You just got to pick, pick what that goal is and yeah. Keep you know, I, the problem with this sickness that we're afflicted with is it's not cured by shooting a smaller animal. No, not, not even remotely. It doesn't cure it. It doesn't make you feel any better. It actually makes you feel worse. Agreed. You know, when you're after a particular thing and you say, well, I di- I'm not going to get that. So I'm going to shoot this that I don't really want to shoot. You kill that and you feel that sinking feeling of why did I just do that? Yeah. It doesn't cure the sickness. Nope. So it's best just to go home with nothing and come back the next year. Agreed. You know? But, hey, well, uh, James, this has been really enjoyable. So uh, I appreciate 
I appreciate your time and, and you shared a lot of knowledge today. Hopefully the listeners, I I'm personally very appreciative. So hopefully the listeners appreciate your, your willingness to, uh, share a lot of hard earned secrets to success for hunting the desert. Alan, I appreciate the opportunity, you and Evan, and, um, I've, uh, uh, long followed you and Evan. So it was fun to get down and talk with you as well. You're, you're a legend. Um, and, uh, yeah, appreciate getting the opportunity to be on the podcast and that will thank you. Thank you. Let's do it again. Thanks, man. Okay. Hey, see you.